Welcome to I'm Game with Fred Croner. Today, I am joined by a different kind of guest than I've ever had uh, for any of my previous podcasts. I'm going to just talk with myself. <laughs> we'll see how this goes. And uh, if it works, maybe this is something I will do occasionally. Um, not going to do this as a question and answer, but just more as just a uh, kind of look back and remembrance and uh, some thoughts on some things. It, um, it really developed from when I was younger, I remember my mother used to tell me about how different things were because um, I would complain about having to ride a bus to school every day. And she would say, well, back when I was uh, going to grade school, there was no bus service. Uh, we had to walk to get to school. It was about a mile, mile and a half from our house to the school. And when she got to the school, it was just a, a one room uh, uh, school and grades one to six were all together. And, you know, I couldn't imagine how that would work out. And she said, well, the teacher would just work with different groups of students at, at a time. And the other students would uh, have work that they would do and they would work quietly. And, and um, so it all worked out. And I, I'm sure that, uh, you know, they couldn't even have imagined at that point the way things would develop in education. And kind of along a similar fashion, um, when I first started as, as a sports writer back in 1975 at the Champaign-Urbana Morning Courier, uh, I'm certain that I couldn't and, and no one I, I worked with could imagine all the changes that were going to take place over the uh, next, what would that be, 40 years, uh, uh, close to 40 years anyway. So <clears throat> one of the things, uh, when, when I got started, uh, we wrote our stories on a typewriter. And at the Courier, uh, to show you where they were at, they didn't even have electric typewriters at the time. They were only manual typewriters. Um, we pulled out sheets of typing paper, and that's what we typed our stories on. So uh, we used a typewriter, we used a sheet of paper, um, and when we got done, uh, we would look it over, and if we saw any mistakes, we would take a, a, a pen, a marking pen, and mark directly on the, on the copy um, what the mistake was, or actually what the correction to the mistake was. And then from there, it got sent on um, to a manual typesetter, a person who was sitting in an actual type. Uh, uh, typesetting machine and, and would type in what we had uh, just typed ourselves. So, I mean, in a lot of ways, it was very inefficient because we would type it one time and then the typesetter would have to type it again. Um, and if, for those that are familiar with the, the Courier location uh, on, on Race Street uh, in, in Urbana, where the Courier Cafe now is, uh, basically where the, uh, the kitchen is now in the, in the Courier Cafe, uh, that's where the typesetters uh, work. They worked in that uh, in that area uh, back in the back of the building because um, up front where the, the cafe is now, like where the register is now, that's where the uh, the business office was, um, where, you know, if you would walk in, uh, want to buy a, a newspaper, that's where you would, you would go, kind of the customer service people. Um, I never really worked downstairs. I, I always had to go in the building and up that flight of stairs that you see on the on the north side of the building. And then it was just a, a big open newsroom up there. Um, the sports kind of were, uh, as you first came in, um, the features were behind us, uh, kind of on the on the far west side of the building. And then up near the street was the, the newsroom and, and the copy editors. And uh, that was where they worked. And, and I'll tell you, it could, it could get to be a very loud place uh, with just think about the, the typewriters banging and, uh, people asking questions or talking. And um, so it was difficult to, to concentrate and, and work for sure. It's not a, a quiet environment uh, by any means. And uh, <clears throat> so that was kind of the way I was, I was brought up 
you know, in the, my early years in journalism. And, you know, another interesting thing would be how um, we covered games that were out of town. Uh, depending on the night, there were some nights uh, early in the week, um, like Monday through Thursday, we could, we could actually drive back to the office because we had a late enough deadline uh, that it wasn't going to be an issue to, to make the trip back and, and write our story and uh, get it in print the next day. Because at that point, um, actually, this was right before the Courier became the morning Courier, and the Courier still had an evening edition, except for Saturdays and Sundays. So Saturdays and Sundays, we had an earlier deadline. And what we would do when we covered those games, and, and I can still remember this clearly, like it, it just happened a week ago. And uh, of course, now it's uh, 46, 47 years ago. Um, but I remember one game in particular, Centennial High School football game uh, at Decatur Eisenhower. So we cover the game. I, I rode over with the guy from uh, the News Gazette, Joe Millis. I was working at the Courier at the time. And um, we covered the game. We, we compiled our stats. We talked to the coaches afterwards. And since it was a Friday night game, uh, neither one of us had the time to get back to the office, uh, take that 45, 50 minute drive back and then write a story. So what we had to do, we had to go to a, a telephone booth and we literally called in and, and dictated our story. And sometimes what we would try to do when, when Joe and I would, would ride together, we would uh, try to find a gas station that had two phone booths. That way we could be efficient and he could be on, on one phone and I could be on the other. Um, because if we couldn't find a, a place that had two phone booths, then uh, literally he would have to, uh, what would happen, he would uh, make the call, call in his stats. Uh, while I was starting to work on my story, he would get done. I would call in my stats. While he was working on his story, I would get done. He would go back to the phone booth. He would call in his story. And um, then when he got done, I would, I would call in my story. And then after everything was done, um, we were finished and, and wrapped up. And I've, I've been on, on both ends of this. And I, I will tell you, uh, again, it was, not, uh, it was not an efficient way to do it. And especially if the, the people at the office uh, back there, it would depend who you would get that, that would take your dictation that night. I mean, sometimes you'd get one of the full-time writers and they could just literally uh, fly through just as fast as you could because they were people that were following these teams. And so if you mentioned a name, you didn't have to spell it. And then, but sometimes... Uh, those people weren't available. They were either uh, doing work or had the night off or whatever the case might be. And you had to get one of the part-timers and, and every name, every last name you, you would have to spell. And it would just be very tedious. And sometimes they, they wouldn't even, still wouldn't even get it right. They would, uh, they would ask again, how do you spell that name? And so, you know, what might be a, a, a 15 uh, paragraph story uh, could easily take 20 to 25 minutes just to call and, and dictate and, and get in. And so, if you can imagine Joe and I both doing that, I mean, there are a lot of times we were at that phone booth for, um, you know, 50 minutes to an hour easy. And I, I remember a, a time or two, we, we would be there. We would try to work it out. We would have, we would try to park close to the phone booth and have hand signals so that when he was done, I could come over and take his place in there. And I remember a couple of times uh, people would drive up in a car and they wanted to make a call and they were just sitting there and, and Joe would get done. He would signal me and I would go in there and, and somebody from the other car would be rushing in and said, I've been waiting for 20 minutes. It's my turn. And I would explain, well, I'm very sorry, but I'm a newspaper reporter and I need to get a call, a story called in before deadline. And um, so I'm sure it was a, it was a frustrating experience all around for other people that were wanting to use a phone booth. And then um, certainly for uh, us as the writers having to call and do the dictation and then for the people back in the office as well. So um, it was uh, it was an interesting time. And, and you know, at, at the time, though, I mean, that's the way that things were done. Um, so there wasn't really any thought to 
um, gosh, I, I wish we could do something different or do something better because uh, at that point, there really was nothing different. There really was nothing better. Um, one of the, the very interesting things I think is, so on those Friday and Saturday nights, when, when we would cover a game, um, get our stories done, rather than drive directly back, what we would usually do, we would try to find a, uh, a Denny's restaurant or somewhere that was open and, and serving some food. Because uh, at this point, it would be it would be after 11 o'clock easy, 11 or 11, 15. Um, and, and generally, we would not eat before the games because we would, like if it was a 7 o'clock game, we would leave champagne by by 35, 45. And, and uh, at least for me at that time, that was a little early to eat. So um, maybe we just might have a snack or something on the way over. But uh, then after the game, after we were done with our work, we would literally go out and, and get something to eat and then have a leisurely drive back and um, get back into town maybe at, uh, at 1 or 1.30 a.m. And, you know, as I as I fast forward years ahead, um, and I will, I will go through this more uh, in detail in a minute, but um, one of the things that transpired is in, in the future as we uh, got to work on laptops and uh, things like that, and just literally, you know, as long as we could get a, a Wi-Fi signal, send our story from a car, um, it got to the point where it was kind of full circle because by the time I retired, I would, I would send a story uh, from the laptop in my car and I could literally go out and uh, get something to eat after that. Um, of course, the, the difference was that, uh, you know, my, my story was all done and, and uh, everything was wrapped up and um, it was just interesting how those things uh, really developed. And, you know, the, the changes over the years, when you look back, I mean, they, they were massive changes, but there was never a, uh, a change that just like, you know, all of a sudden it, it just happened overnight. It was just gradually. So um, one of the first things that would happen is, so we would still type our stories on a typewriter, um, but then we would take the, the piece of paper and it would get scanned into a, into a computer and that would do the typesetting. So that would basically uh, eliminate that person who had the job as, as a typesetter. Um, and in the, in the early years, uh, they were still needed. The typesetters were still needed because that's the way the, the advertisements were done. Uh, they had to be handset. So even though there was that avenue and that option for uh, the, the writers that were writing the stories, um, there wasn't really that uh, option in the early years for, for the advertisements. So um, they, they still had a job. They were still able to work. And then over the years, I mean, that, that group, uh, the typesetters just basically kind of got phased out as, as everything um, went to the uh, went to the computer and, and went digital and and uh, it eliminated the, those uh, those people and you know I was sad to see that I guess the the only good thing is most of the ones that that I worked with were people that had worked 30 40 45 years and at the point their jobs were kind of getting phased out uh, they were ready to retire and step aside and um, I think at that point people had seen this coming so there really weren't very many younger uh, typesetters at least in the in the papers that I worked at it um, the Courier in Champaign, then over at the Bloomington Panograph, and then back in Champaign at, at the News Gazette, where I started in uh, March of 1981. So um, it was it was a very big transition, but we we went from that. We went from um, typing on typewriters, uh, on again on a piece of paper that then the paper would get scanned into a machine. So we went from that uh, to actually using laptops. And I remember. Um, I think at the Gazette, if I remember correctly, it was in the spring of 1974, or I'm sorry, 1984. So I had been there approximately three years and that's when they uh, did this big upgrade 
And it was also the time that we moved our building, uh, or moved our offices rather, the building stayed where it was. Um, but our original building for the News Gazette was the one that was just across from what at the time was the train station in Champaign. And we moved about one block further to the west to the old J.C. Penney's uh, department store. And um, so anyway, as they would get that uh, building close to being operational, I remember they would take about six or eight of us at a time uh, for about two hour shifts and they would take us over there. Um, and there'd be somebody from the, uh, the technology department that would just literally go through everything. I mean, you know, you, how to sign on, um, how to get to different files, how to get to different folders, how to uh, save a story, uh, so on and so forth. And so that, uh, that took a lot of learning. And at the time, I mean, we, we had a number of employees. I mean, the newsroom now, if you look in, in 2022, um, I don't know the exact number, so I can't say this for certain, but I, I've heard that they have around 20 to 25 people uh, that work in the building. And that's not only just for the, the writers and editors, but, uh, you know, the people in the circulation, the advertising in the various departments. But at the time, um, we had easily over 100, 100 to 150 people that, that had to be trained and um you know, fluent in terms of how to use the computers, because once we made the change, uh, that's what it was going to be. And so it wasn't like, you know, you could train one or two departments and one or two would catch up later, because uh, once we went online with that system, everybody had to be ready to go, um, had to know what the, uh, they were doing, and um, because it had to just be a, a seamless uh, transition. I mean, literally, I mean, when you're putting out a, a daily newspaper, it's not like uh, you can take four or five things to, to four or five days to, to work on something. If it, if it doesn't work out, um, you've got to have the, the people with the knowledge. You've got to have the troubleshooters there so that you can uh, just step right in. And, and um, you know, it's just like it was the week before. You know, one of the, the things that I, I really noticed, um, and, and one of the things that was frustrating, I'll say too, when we were working on the typewriters and, and would edit the stories ourselves and make the marks, um, Sometimes the, the typesetters um, would either have difficulty reading or writing, or there might be so many corrections or changes that we made uh, that they would just simply miss some. And so you would get the paper the next day and there'd be sentences that just you know, wouldn't make sense or um, you know, a spelling or punctuation that was wrong and you knew that you had changed that. Um, but it, for whatever reason, had, had been overlooked. Um, so the nice thing about when we, when we started using the uh, using the computers and doing that. I mean, we could literally, um, like I could, I could write a story all the way through and then all of a sudden, if I decided my third paragraph from the bottom was one of my more important ones, I could literally just define that paragraph. I could uh, hit copy and I could move it up to the top or uh, wherever I wanted. And so that made the, the editing part uh, so much easier than just the fact that, that I had the ability to, to make the changes myself. Uh, as, as I went through and would proofread my copy, uh, make the changes and know that they were made. I didn't have to rely on um, another human to, to make those changes and to, uh, uh, to make sure that they got done. Um, so I think that was something that, uh, that I really liked uh, as well. Um, and, you know, again, I mean, there were some of us, and I, I'm probably in that group, that um, we were kind of slow to, to embrace the computer system because it was new to us. Um, we didn't understand it, and I, I remember I took probably a little more training than some of the other people, but um, I'll tell you what, I mean, I, I eventually, uh, when, I, when I latched on and, and caught on, I, I just absolutely loved it, and over the years, I even got to the point where I was able to do some coding, too, so, um, 
this comes into play like when you look at the at the scoreboard section where you have what we call the agate type, the, the small type uh, for the box scores and uh, the standings and, and things like that. And by doing the coding, uh, by learning the coding, what I could do um, if we wanted to set a column width a little bit different than what it was, um, I knew how to to go ahead and and you know with the the PICA system that we used and uh, you know increase or decrease as the case may be, uh, and it would still come out right and and looking good. Um, so you know over the years that you know I never would have guessed, like I said earlier, uh, what would happen in in those years. Um, just like I'm sure when my mother was in grade school, she never would have guessed uh, what would happen. You know as well in the, in the years ahead where. You know, there's not only um, one uh, classroom, um, uh, you know, per grade, but in some cases uh, you would have grades that would have so many students, you would have to have two or three classrooms instead of having um, all six of the grades together. So, you know, the changes that she saw, uh, you know, in the education field, I, I think were certainly um, witnessed um, uh, in, what, in terms of what I saw uh, throughout my work career. And I, I touched on this earlier, but... Uh, uh, I think it's worth noting that there were, when, when we covered the out-of-town games, you know, there were in the early years with the, with the Courier being a morning paper only on Saturday and Sunday, um, when myself and, and Joe or whoever else I might happen to be riding with, I think I went with David Woods a few times and um, maybe Tom Reitman. I'm not sure about that. Uh, not, uh, it's been too many years ago. But when we covered an event on a Monday through Thursday, uh, we basically had a choice. I mean, we could just leave from the game, go right back to the office, write the story and, uh, and get it done and usually have to help out editing uh, stories that other people had written. Or what we did more often than not, uh, to give us some time to think about the game we just saw and what we wanted to write, uh, we would go out and get a bite to eat then. And, you know, even though I, I did that, I wasn't a particularly big fan of that because I'm always a person that I, I want to get my work done. And, so it just didn't seem quite right to, to cover a game, then go get something to eat, and then afterwards go back to the office and write a story. Um, those times didn't happen too often because, like I say, on, on most of the out-of-town games we covered were on Fridays and Saturdays, and we had the earlier deadline um, because it was for a morning paper instead of an afternoon edition. And so uh, we didn't really have that option. We had to, uh, to get the stories done, get the stats done, and, and go from there. But that is what I meant earlier when I said that it had really kind of gone full circle because by the time I retired from the Gazette in August of 2015, um, I could literally go to a game. Uh, in fact, I remember I was at, at a game, one of the games my, my final year was a, a girls basketball game at Watsika. And I, I got done, I did all my interviews. I went to a McDonald's parking lot. I, I had Wi-Fi, and I literally sat in the parking lot and, and wrote my story. I sent my story. Um, and then at that point, it was, I don't know, 10.30 or 10.20. I was able to look around for somewhere to, to get something to eat. And um, so it was almost like the, the early years uh, with the difference being that I had my story done. So there was no pressure on, you know, I could enjoy the meal. I wasn't trying to think of, well, guys, what were the important parts of tonight's game? Uh, what do I want to emphasize? Um, so on and so forth. So, um, you know, it was, it was very, uh, very much full circle, but in a different kind of, of way. Um, you know, I, I think in a lot of ways, despite all the changes, I mean, uh, there were certainly things that were the same. I mean, when, when you cover a game, um, especially at the high school level, at the high school level, you don't have the, the sports information directors or anything like that. Um, so you keep your own stats. Uh, you might have a person like in basketball that will keep the official scorebook, 
um, at the bench. But I mean, basically all that will give you will be the, uh, the points scored, uh, now the three-pointers, free throws made and attempted, and that would be about it. So if you want other information, rebounds, assists, uh, literally a play-by-play, -play. you know, what was the, the biggest margin one team had in the first quarter? Those are all things that um, you have to keep yourself and, and keep track of. And, and that is, is really uh, basically unchanged uh, from all the years, from the time I started, uh, in, in, like I say, in 1975 through the time I retired, and then even now, uh, as I continue to do some writing for the Muhammad Daily and the St. Joe Daily. Um, what, what has changed significantly, and I, I know this from uh, just hours spent in the, in the library looking at uh, old microfilm, is the way that stories were written. Uh, game stories in the, in the 1930s, 40s, and even into the 50s uh, were basically chronological. I mean, the first paragraph would, would give you a final score. And then if, for example, you were writing on a, a football game, uh, it would just go through the game from, from the first quarter on. Uh, uh, you know, one team received the ball. They, they made two first downs and, you know, a couple highlights of what happened. They had to punt the ball. Uh, the other team uh, took the punt and returned it for a touchdown. And, and so literally everything was, was chronological. And, and even if maybe uh, uh, the one team had to score a touchdown or make a field goal in, in the final 10 seconds, that would be one of the final things you would see in the story, other than, again, you would have the, the score, who won and lost at, at the very beginning. But then after that, it just went chronological. And so we go, we went from there, uh, you know, as a collective group of sports writers to um, basically starting the story um, with, with whatever the highlight was. So um, what was the final score? Certainly you mentioned that. And then what was the turning point or, or was there a final play? Was there a last second uh, basket in a basketball game? Did somebody hit a walk home run in the baseball game? You would literally go to that next and, and you know, tell how the game was won or if it was a, a 40 point game, then that was a little bit different. You might just focus on um, an individual that had an outstanding performance, but you, you wouldn't go through it uh, chronological and you wouldn't necessarily talk about, you know, every sequence, every series that each team had. Uh, which was something that was done earlier. And then, you know, as we got into the, in the early 2000s, um, it kind of morphed and, and progressed again um, into feature type stories. Uh, so we would cover a game story, um, but maybe the first 10 or 12 paragraphs of the, of the story would be about one particular individual. And when, when you did this, uh, you, you would try to have in mind, you know, who you were going to write about going in. And uh, you, you would hope that one of two things didn't happen. You would hope, first of all, that that player you're going to write about didn't have a bad game. And then you would also hope that you don't have like a, a last second shot that somebody else made that you really need to uh, get up there at the, at the very beginning of the story, uh, get right up there in your lead. Um, because then that would make it seem kind of, you know, people would really question, you know, why are you writing about this guy when he didn't make or she didn't make the, the last second shot to win the game. So, but more often than not, those worked out exceptionally well. And I, I think made the story much more interesting and, and much more readable. And certainly as technology became more advanced, um, I mean, it's to the point now that, you know, two seconds after a game ends, you can, you can get a final score. Uh, the college games, you can get a, a complete box score uh, in about that same amount of time. So the people that read the, the newspapers, they want something different. They don't want to just get a, a rehash of the game and who the top scores were. Certainly you can, you can make a note of that. Uh, but they want some perspective. They want to know what the game meant, uh, what the outcome uh, uh, meant, what's coming up next, uh, so on and so forth. So um, I think that is one of the ways that we've really progressed and, and learned uh, over the years. Uh, 
Before I close, I, I do want to mention one final thing, and, and it has to do with uh, the use of cell phones and, and reaching coaches. Because um, back when you know there were no cell phones and, and coaches had landlines, uh, and of course from the time they would you know the school day would get out, they were basically unreachable until they got home. Because um, after school they would go into their practice, and then they would you know sometimes they would go and study film or whatever, and then they would finally get home. Um, but if you really needed to talk to a coach, uh, it was frustrating because if you missed them, uh, if the school day was over, there was really not a lot of chance to uh, to catch them until um, they got home that night. And so I remember, you know, I would I would call uh, their, their home number. Sometimes I would call two or three times a night uh, up till 930. I, I usually made a point to uh, not call after 10 o'clock unless it was a coach that I'd already called and, and had gotten the message that, well, they'll be home any minute now. And um, if I still hadn't heard back, I might call as late as 10. But the interesting thing is you, you go from that where you're just waiting and waiting and waiting to all of a sudden coaches have, have cell phones. And so I remember I was trying to reach the Westville football coach, Guy Goodlove. And this was a year or two before I retired. And I had a cell number and I thought, well, I'm just going to call and, and leave him a message. So when he gets out of practice, he'll see this. And I know that he needs to give me a call. And so I, I call, and uh, after like two rings, his voice says, hello, and it was Coach Goodlove. And I said, oh, I didn't think you'd be done with practice yet. And he said, well, I'm not. We're right here in the middle of a practice. Uh, we're, we're doing a defensive drill right now. Uh, how can I help you? And I said, you mean you can talk right now while you're, you're doing a practice? And he said, hang on. And I heard him shout something to, a, to an assistant coach, uh, what he wanted him to do next. And, and then he came back, and he said, sure, I've got all the time you need. And so – um, you know, it's just kind of, uh, again, uh, you, you think about the, uh, the, the old days where you would have to wait sometimes till 10 o'clock at night to reach a coach. And, and then even then, sometimes you, you weren't able to get a hold of them to where it had, had gotten to the point where uh, if you had their cell number, you could call and, and they would, some of them would willingly uh, even take time during practice. So um, it was just quite a change, quite a, quite a transition. And um, I, I'm sure that uh, there will be more changes in the year ahead, years ahead. Um, but as I look at it, I mean, you know, how many more changes, what, what things will happen? I, I can't imagine that the changes that are still to come uh, in terms of, of putting out the publication, uh, whether it's a, a newspaper or a magazine, can, can match the changes of the last 40 years. But I'm, I'm also sure that uh, uh, my imagination doesn't work well enough to uh, to even comprehend some of the things that are, are probably on the table in, in the in the years ahead. So that is uh, kind of my little uh, journey through uh, through forty plus years of uh, of sports writing and some of the changes I've seen, some of the changes I've witnessed. Uh, I thank you for listening today. We will be back next week, uh, hopefully with an actual guest. Uh, I may do this uh, occasionally, but uh, I certainly don't plan to, uh, to to do this week after week. Uh, thank you for listening and hope you have a nice day.